have a Bible in front of you, I would encourage you to open it up to Revelations chapter 7. This is our text for today. While you're doing that and thinking about the book of Revelation, let me start by telling you this. In the last, I'd say, three to four weeks, we as pastors at our Father Lutheran Church, we've been asked a question that goes like this, probably more than, at least for me personally, in 20 years of working in a church, 20 years of ministry, in the last three weeks, people have asked me this question. Is Jesus returning soon? Or said another way, uh, what we read in the book of Revelation, is this possibly happening now? Are these the end times? What is going on in the world in which we live? And maybe some of you have thought these questions yourself. I mean, think about with me the last three years. What have we experienced collectively as a society, a global pandemic? Uh, The racial tension that we see not only in our own country, but it's happening in Europe, it's happening in other parts of the world as cultures, as people, groups are fighting for power and wanting things from one another. We have seen natural disasters, earthquakes in Afghanistan and Turkey, most recently in Nepal, killing hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, Fires in Canada, worse than that country has ever seen. Flooding in our own country, they call it a hundred-year flood because it's so devastating. Nobody alive today has seen that type of devastation before Hurricanes in Florida, in Mexico, setting record-breaking damage estimates and all those things, as if that isn't bad enough. Russia invades Ukraine, and now the very forefront of our minds, as we see in the news every single day, in the Holy Land, where there is terrorist attacks and nation of Israel fighting back, regionally spreading out to different nations and different countries, If you haven't asked it before, maybe now you're asking the question, along with a lot of other people, Jesus, are you returning soon? Well, here's the answer. I don't know. But I do know this. That the book of Revelation and the text that we're going to study here today was written for such a time as these. We've been blessed with this text. John was given this vision of what our future glory, what the future victory is going to look like, so that we have something to anchor our hope into during times of uncertainty. And on a day like today, we call it All Saints Day, was we celebrate and yet mourn, and yet at the same time fill our hearts with joy at the reality that those who have gone before us, the saints who are now in heaven with Jesus face to face, are celebrating, they are experiencing this text in real time that we're about to read. So with that, Let's look at Revelation chapter 7. Open up your Bible, starting with verse 9, where the Apostle John is given this vision. It says that, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And John said to him, Well, sir, you know. And he said, 
These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, this is hope. This is a promise. This is a glimpse that despite the uncertainty that we see in the world today, despite the sadness that you may have brought into this place as you mourn the loss of a loved one, we have the final outcome right before our eyes. But here's the problem. I think as American Christians, sometimes we lose sight that in this world, Jesus says, there will be trouble. And if you notice back in verse 14, what does the elders say? They have come out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation. What is this? Well, Jesus speaks of this in uh, Matthew's gospel. He writes that immediately after the same event, this tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And if you read Matthew 24, it's pretty disturbing because Jesus is very blunt. He doesn't pull any punches. He's, he, he lets us see what's going to happen. If we happen to be around, whenever this event is going to take place, Jesus warns it's going to be so terrible, it's going to be so frightening, there's going to be so much suffering that even Christians are going to go, ah, Jesus, where are you? They're going to struggle in their faith because this moment in time is going to be so awful. Now, maybe we are in these events. Maybe we're not. Maybe we get to be blessed and avoid that, and we go to heaven before it takes place. And yet it's also true that Jesus warns us, I quoted this before, in this world you will have trouble. He doesn't say if you pray hard enough, you can avoid suffering. If you are a good enough person, you can avoid suffering that's kind of a modern view that some Christians have and preach into this world. No, Jesus is honest. He wants to prepare us that in this world, because of sin, there will be suffering, there will be tribulation, and some of us, we know that too well. The earliest Christians, they didn't avoid suffering, they didn't avoid tribulation. The apostle Paul, Barnabas, they're talking to some Christians, and they say that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God which I realize on All Saints Sunday is not very comforting, is it? But it's real. It's a fact, and whether we like it or not is not the question. Instead, we have to accept it that this is what Jesus told us would happen. We have to be prepared. We shouldn't be surprised. But then again, this is why Revelation chapter 7 was written, so that we would have some hope, so that we wouldn't be left in despair. Jump back with me to Verse 9. Notice the crowd that's in heaven here. It says that after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, this is really the promise fulfilled. Uh, God speaks to Abraham and Sarah, and he says, Through you, I'm going to create this great nation. There's going to be so many people that it's like looking at the beach and trying to count how many grains of sand are on the beach. This is how many people will be in heaven billions. This is all Christians of all time. And then look at how inclusive heaven is. From every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, which means it's the end of racism. It's the end of regional conflicts. It's the end of neighbor attacking neighbor in the Middle East. All that is gone, and it is every tribe and every nation standing before this throne. And what are they doing? They're clothed in white robes. They've got palm branches in their hands. In the ancient Near East, this is a sign of victory. They would wave palm branches after a great military victory. They're waving them, and they're singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What John is seeing here is the final and ultimate and last All Saints Sunday worship celebration. Can you imagine what that would be like? Billions of people raving their pomp. I can tell by your faces that you can't imagine it. So let me give you an illustration. Okay. A couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, my family, we were blessed with some Bronco Packers tickets. We went to the game because I'm a Broncos fan. Uh, my wife, Amanda, is a pagan. Sorry. <laughs> Packers fan. And as we're going into the stadium, we're walking in, we parked at Raria campus, and the closer you get, if you've ever had this experience, the louder it gets. And then finally, we, we get into the stadium, we're walking down to where our seats are going to be, and as soon as you walk into that stadium, right before the game begins, it is so loud, it's thundering. You can feel it in your heart. And if that wasn't loud enough, even louder than those moments are moments of great victory. Now, because I was surrounded by Packer fans at this particular game, there was a little bit of friendly trash-talking banter going back and forth. And when the Broncos scored what would be the game-winning touchdown, I had somebody take this picture. <laughs> Can you see the joy on my face? And you better believe I... That little kid with the yellow hat, you see how sad he is? I gave him the business, don't you worry, friends, okay? It was a beautiful moment of victory. Now, this is an inconsequential game. This game means nothing in the history of the world. The Broncos winning a game is not going to end world hunger. It's not going to solve the problems of the Middle East. It's not going to fix the environment. None of this matters. It is pure entertainment. And yet, look at how excited we get about a simple game. Can you imagine now the celebration that will take place in heaven? We are before the throne and the Lamb, and we're singing, and we're filled with joy, and every tear is wiped from our eyes. That is what John wants us to see. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, John was given this vision so that in our uncertain times, when we're not sure of what is going to take place in our lives or this country or this world, we would have something to anchor our hope into outside of ourselves. But again, this is All Saints Sunday. And as I look out, into the seats and all three services that we've had. Some of you are here today with some great sadness. You put a name down on a piece of paper. You submitted it to church. We're going to read it out loud in just a few minutes. And maybe you're asking yourself, well, that's great to think into the future, and that does help, but is there anything that I can have that will help fix or heal the sadness that I have. I mean, when we lose someone, it's a gut punch. We can feel it. We feel physically sick. And we see it once again in our text from Revelation chapter 7. Look with me at the very last verse. 
The focus of this worship is this lamb, a lamb who bled, a lamb who died. This is Jesus. It says, For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eye. And we do have something that God provides us to help us in these times of need, in these times of sadness. We're about to experience it in a very real, personal way. God is going to set a table for us right here on this altar. We call it the Lord's table. We call it the Lord's Supper. Let me unpack for you our theology that we believe what happens in this moment. And to do that, I want to tell you the story, true story about a member of our congregation named Sandy. Uh, she gave me permission to share this story. And it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Nate, Scott, and I, we got a text message from Sandy her uh, husband of 34 years, Don, was in the hospital. He was told by the nurses, or they were told by the nurses, that uh, he only had a few hours to live. And so Sandy asked if one of us could come bring communion, and I wasn't leading worship that day, so I brought communion to the family and his daughters, and Sandy and I, we circled around the hospital bed, and Don received the Lord's body and blood for the very last time on this earth. It would be just a few hours later, and Dom would be home with his Savior Jesus in heaven. And Sandy said something to me that was so profound, it was so sweet. She said, Pastor Micah, I'm so sad. Of course I'm going to miss Dom, but you have to understand, we have had communion together almost every Sunday for 34 years, and this is the last time that I got to do this on earth. Some of us know what that feels like. It's the gut punch that death brings to us. We, we physically can feel it, and Sandy was experiencing that in a very real, profound, powerful way. Well, a few days later, she had her funeral, and I was thinking about what Sandy said. I was thinking about the text because we use part of Revelation chapter 7 in the funeral, and at the end of the sermon, I said, now, Sandy, forgive me for correcting one thing that you said, and I told the story of comment that this was the last time physically speaking on earth that Sandy and Dom were going to have communion together. I said, but you did leave out one thing. Because what we, we believe about communion is this, is that yes, there is a chasm that exists between a holy God in heaven and an imperfect people here on earth. Our sin has caused that chasm. There's a gap. We cannot be close to a holy God in our sinful state. Except on a communion Sunday, Jesus bridges that gap. He separates the cosmic gap that exists between our sinful selves and God. Jesus himself comes down. He attaches himself to this meal. It is his true body and blood that we're receiving. And while we're here on earth, yes, it gives us the forgiveness of sins. It gives us the assurance that there's nothing that can separate us from a holy God. And yet at the exact same time, and this is what I want to have you imagine in your mind, the saints that have gone before us are in heaven at Jesus's heavenly table. And they're receiving the best food, the choicest wine. They are seeing Jesus face to face. And what does John say? The tears have been wiped from their eyes. At the same time that we on earth are receiving Jesus's presence, we're dining with Jesus. The saints in heaven are dining with him in the flesh. And so it's not the last time that we're going to get to commune with our husband, our wife, a grandparent, a parent, 
Every time you come to the Lord's table, can you see it in your eye? We are communing with the saints. We are united. Even for a brief moment of time, we're together. And it's with that hope, it's with that assuredness of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be comforted in our loss and we can have hope despite the uncertain future that we have looking to Jesus and his death and his resurrection and the great victory that will be ours one day. And it's with those words that we can say together, Amen.